0: Now return Papa's love
1: hard for me to imagine how it must make him feel when the redeemed on the earth sing these songs to him and then just to imagine that there will be millions times millions that will be gathered together that day and we will be singing songs And maybe there's a certain song that's sung here that's not really your style you know maybe it's a little bit uh, you don't like it and maybe it leans too much toward country or a little bit too modern for you, but yet every song there that's sung will be perfect. Amen. Nobody will dislike the harmony, nobody will dislike the chord progression, or everybody there will just be focusing on Him. Amen. What a time that's going to be. I believe that He desires to be able to so permeate our hearts with His presence, That heaven begins to reflect itself before we ever get there. By worship, by praise, by the way that we live. (laughs) Let's read about that today again, shall we? In Revelation 22. What a great opportunity it is for us while we're here in time to be able to serve Him and live for Him. Revelation 22.12. And behold, I come quickly and my reward is with me to give every man according as his works shall be. We certainly don't desire to work for reward. We want to do simply because the Lord puts it in our hands. But we know how faithful that he is, that he will reward us for everything that we do. But we by no means want to approach him. Okay, God, what can I do so you can make my reward bigger in heaven? But reward is important. We know that. But it's simply based upon committal of what he commits to our hands. And then we fulfill it. And then when we get there, we look at ourselves as being unworthy servants in reality. Notice what he says. He goes from the reward and then he goes into his identity of identifying himself through the church Age as I am Alpha and Omega, the beginning and the end, the first and the last. Blessed are they that do his commandments, that they may have right to the tree of life and may enter in through the gates into the city. Let's bow our heads together and ask him to help us today. Father, once again, as we've gathered together here in this place, which has been set aside and designated and dedicated to you as a house of worship, We know, Lord, that you're not limited to this building or any other building as far as that goes. But this one we have built for you many, many years ago. And, Lord, we've not had dances and we've not had uh, all types of other activities of the world in this place. The only thing it's been held for has been church. And we're grateful for that. Church and weddings and things that pertain to your kingdom. But Lord Jesus, we know that the building you are coming for is not so much this one. One day when the bombs go to striking and the earthquakes go to riddling our land and the fire will begin to explode and the atomic fodder will be everywhere. This building here that now we love so much will be nothing but just ash. But what we want to be is the building of God that will go in the rapture. So, Father, help us not to make so much out of this building and not really focus on the true building of God. As we hear your word, we know that you're building a building, and that is a spiritual, mystical body, the body of Christ. Help us as we hear the word that we become so united with that word that internally it transforms us into your image. Speak to us today, Father, your wonderful words in the name of the Lord Jesus. Amen. God bless you, saints. You may be seated. Believing that our father desires for us as his children to be reflectors of his inheritance. For those of you that never saw my daddy and never knew my daddy, um, if you would see a picture of my father, the older I get, the more I look like him and my Brother Harry, as you just saw here on the organ, Harry doesn't look as much like my daddy as he does my uncle, but yet he looks like him. So we have seven or seven of us children. You look at my different sisters and my younger brother, Jamie, and you can see that there is resemblance, and we have that resemblance among us as siblings, as many of you do with yours. And it's something that we actually, whether we like it or not, that we do carry those traits and they reflect themselves in us. And then we pass those things on down to our children. Then on occasion, you'll see one that looks almost identical, like someone behind them. Maybe it was an aunt or an uncle or something like that. And we, we know that those things are genetically in us, coming from our chromosomes, 23 from our father, 23 from our mother, and that's in our genetics and our DNA and our natural makeup. How much more so does God want to be able to reflect his spiritual DNA in us by the living word? Each of us will have our own personal way in the way that we praise him, the way that we sing, the way we love him, the way we serve him. But yet in reality, if we're born of the Spirit of God, we all have the same spiritual Heavenly Father, do we not? And we believe then that the world is of the same way because they are of the words that's used in the New Testament. The word world is cosmos, which is world order. So it is the order or the mandate by which Satan has been given. We know he's the prince of the power of the air. So he's given the authority since taking the earth from Adam in the beginning by deceit. He's been able to permeate the air, the atmosphere that's around us, which is one reason why the heavens need to be cleansed, the atmosphere needs to be cleansed. So he's changed his administration in different days, uh, ages that man has been on the earth, in order to accommodate the hour, the need for the hour. He's never had an hour like he's having now, for sure. And yet we know down through times we can see in the times of Daniel how prophetically and down the times of of Nimrod and times of the Chaldeans and then it changed from them to the Persians. From the Persians it changed to the Romans. From the Romans on down, East and Western Empire. So we see that Satan has been able to change different things about the government on the earth. And he's not went with exactly the same thing, so he will divide. Sometimes he uses political power, sometimes he uses religious power, sometimes he merges them together and uses both. But he tends to go with that which is the most beneficial for the day that the humans on the earth are living. So he corresponds his tactics, he corresponds his his channel, his administration according to the way the people are. So when the mindset of the people change, then Satan will change his administration accordingly. Or if they're not in harmony with his mindset, then he will send out philosophers, theologians, he will send out uh, people in school, educators, and so on, and he will begin to change the mindset of the people to match his agenda of what he wants them to be be. Now we know that much of what he does he gets from our heavenly father because our father of course is the originator and Satan impersonates that which our father does. So we know God does exactly the same thing. That if the agenda of the direction the people are going does not match what God wants, then God will send men on the earth and they will catch the mind of God and they will begin to speak the voice of God and it will catch the elect and then it will change them where they will begin to go in the direction that God wants them to go. We see that with Noah, we see it with Abraham, we see with the children of Israel when they become pretty much accepted down in the land of Egypt that they were there. They didn't know how long, they knew what God said as far as the promise that they would be there for 400 years and God would come down and deliver them. But probably some of them thought that's never going to happen. We've been here all these generations, all these years. We might, might as well just accept it. But their mindset was not right. Their agenda of what they'd accepted to be was totally contrary than what God said. But God had to send a man, we know by the name of Moses, one that was drawn out himself, drawn out of the river Nile, and given the name Moses, which means drawn out, and he himself being marked by the very symbol of that. So God's going to send him to draw out a people which had become very commonplace. Well, we're slaves, we're this, that, the other, we'll probably never amount to nothing nothing else but God had to send a man to change their mindset right so God said I've heard the cries of my people and I'm coming down and I'm sending you to do it and thank God God has done the same thing in every generation and thank God he's done it in our day amen our mindset was certainly not what it needed to be and no doubt it still needs some tweaking where we are right now but I thank God that he's faithful to help us don't you so we can see then that as the culmination of all things are heading up. Peter said it so many, many years ago. 1 Peter 4, 7. For we know that all things are at hand. The ending of all things. So you imagine how they looked at it. We can read from Paul's writings early on the onset of his administration. That it seemed to be that Paul saw that it would be his generation that would catch the coming of the Lord. That it would be the rapture. Now they believed it apparently by the way that they wrote it they thought the coming of the Lord Jesus was so imminent that they wrote it as if so it would be their generation now God does that on purpose of course but then in time the people become seasoned to what God is actually doing they need that impulse of the anointing to help them because if they don't then they will write with a future perspective instead of a now a now view to where they must leave that upon that generation they'll leave it upon the next generation on and on and on but if not then they will leave it uh, totally entirely to the future so what will they do they won't do much because they'll say well it's 2,000 years down the road why should we get all tore up about it hey you know what I may not see it my kids may not see it my grandchildren may not see it but the elect in every generation went down with that expectation that they would see the coming of the Lord. It will be the elect of every generation that will raise in the resurrection. And they will raise with that same anticipation they had when they went down. Oh, that's right. Friends, how many have we laid over here, their bodies in Happy Valley? How many have we laid in Limestone? How many have we laid in Kingsport? Since I've been here over 30 years, 110 or 115, maybe even more now, that I've buried and had funerals for. But they are not gone. They're simply, their bodies are just resting, and they went with the anticipation that they was going to catch the coming of the Lord, and they will rise with that same anticipation. So now we can see that God and heaven both have a different, entirely a different agenda as it's always been from that. And God wanting to get his people ready to take them from the earth before the culmination of all things happens, before the tribulation arrives. Will there be a pre-tribulation that will come upon the earth? I believe we're here now. I believe the violence, the imagination of man's heart being continuously on evil is already here, which shows us where. Where we are in the prophetic time clock of God. We see Israel in her homeland. Been there for a long time. We see the IDF of Israel their national defense. We see the Iron Dome. All the things constantly that are going on day by day by day. If you get Israeli daily news or weekly news you know that they're constantly on an onslaught. The majority of the nations of the world still to this day do not recognize uh, Israel as being in their homeland. They want to say that actually to the Palestinians which is only a parallel of what they try to do to us to take us from our homeland. Many of you that have been in the message for many years and you find yourself going through battles now that you never thought you'd ever go through and you're, you're surprised, really overwhelmed. Some of you have actually fallen to things that you thought would never even bother you and it perplexes you and you're thinking, what in the world am I doing here where I am? Don't you understand? It's the same thing going on with you spiritually that is going on with the land of Israel, naturally, in that you're having to fight to keep your homeland. Well, for many of you, your homeland is your Body, it is your victory and your walk with God. And as Israel constantly, since 1948, have been declared to be a nation, and yet they're having to fight today. Oh, they're not in a six day war, they're not in a Yom Kippur war, but yet on the northern border, on the border there by the Sea of Galilee, they constantly have to watch, constantly having to send missiles over to Syria, uh, Iran having Hezbollah, and all the different things that are there. Well, you know, we, we look at that naturally and re- realize that. It's the same thing spiritually. That Satan constantly trying to send his missiles, as it were, over into our land. I never realized the value and the importance of the Golan Heights until I stood there back last year and we looked there and whenever you stand there and see that the Golan Heights are right above the Sea of Galilee when you're there you can look right over it and there's the expanse of the Sea of Galilee right behind you to your back is the country of Syria and they were up on the Golan Heights and they would pick out one day there's going to shoot a guy in a boat well the next day they'd pick out a farmer on the other side so constantly they were picking off the people of Israel they were simply there just minding their own business they were fishing they were planting their crops or harvesting their crops and the enemy would get up on the upper ground being the Golan Heights and they had the perimeter all the way down through the Golan which runs parallel to the Sea of Galilee and there they would just kill innocent people and that's exactly what Satan wants to do today so you know what Israel decided to do they decided they're going to take the Golan Heights. Well naturally when they take the Golan Heights Then the Arabs, all the Arabs And you know the majority of the world Said hey that ain't your land You, you get away from there You get out of there But they're saying hey this is, this is part of our security And our security is breached As long as our enemy has The Golan Heights Now when you look at it And you climb all the way up All the way up on the Golan And then you look down where they are You can see everything they're doing all of their moves and that's exactly the way Satan wants to do you and I as an individual. He wants to have his own Golan in our own walk with God and he studies you, he looks at you as they would have their enemies right there with the binoculars and all their powerful telescopes and so on and they would watch everything they did, they would watch their counter defenses and they would do all of that, that's exactly the way Satan does you and some of you today you know what you need to do, you you just need to take the devil's Golan away from him because he keeps firing at you, bombing at you, doing this and that and the other well don't expect him and the world to pat you on the back when you take it but you will feel more safe when you're living in your Golan Heights now, the majority of the world still does not to this day recognize the Golan. But yet, if you look back to the promise that God gave to Abraham, the Golan is part of the perimeter by which God said was theirs. Amen. Well, I'll tell you, I believe today that he, healing belongs to me. Peace belongs to me. As we looked at it last night, how terrible that the prophet said that worry actually was. And when you look at the effects, even scientifically, that worry has on our body how it has on our spirit and we see that we cannot live in the land of faith and operate fully in the land of faith and operate fully in the land of worry about the exact same subject there's no way we can but most of us feel like we're able to do that we think we can operate fully in the land of faith with a certain situation or there's certain ongoing thing that we're dealing with in our life and we think we can have faith and worry at the same time about the same situation you cannot do it you must have one or the other and if you've got real solid faith faith will dispel worry and if you have worry worry has no virtue which means strength so worry will actually zap the strength of faith away from your wall depending upon what you're dealing with then there's Satan again in your Golan. Now, just this week, of course, Iran had sent some, or last week rather, as it was, that Iran had set up some spots there in Syria, which is right behind the Golan Heights, and they sent some missiles, projectiles, as it was, down into Israel. Well, you know what Israel does? They just sit around, twiddle their thumbs, and say, wow, this is really sad. I hate this for our people. Uh, and then they hand out manuals on how to duck your head when a missile is flying through. No, that's not the way they play. So you know what they done? They sent their F-16s and whatever more in their drones and they went right across the border of Syria and they flew right over the no man's zone. You don't do this type of thing. You don't tell them that. Because if you're going to bomb them, they will bomb you back. Remember they're not saved by grace so they don't turn the other cheek. You send a missile to them, they'll send 10 back to you. The only cheek they turn is when the F-16 raises its wings, Combat successful. Then you see the other cheek, if you're alive, to tell the story. So that's where they are. Because they're not spiritual, we know that, and this is the only thing they know. In my opinion, it's one of the reasons that America, America is still blessed to this day, because she has stood with Israel. What if Israel is willing to fight against all odds, if Israel is willing to fight, basically face the whole Arab world, which eventually is where the Armageddon will wound up being, and they're willing to do that because of their own. Why? Because they know for the most part they can really trust no other nation. Now, sure, America will stand with them, but you know, every four years we go to the ballot box and we put in a new president. Well, all it has to do is change than every two years by Senate and by Congress and if we can be able to change our laws and we know how our nation is even now that they teeter on their view of Israel and some of them, you know, they're not really sure about Israel after all. So in reality, Israel knows for right now they might be able to depend upon America but who knows them two years from now or four years from now. So Israel basically knows they have to depend upon their understanding understanding of God and they know they have to depend upon their self and if they're gonna have a safe place to live them Their children they've got to fight to keep it Well, I wish that you and I, as the people of God would be able to look at our inheritance and our possession in the same way Now not saying that we don't have friends not saying we don't have brothers and sisters But when it comes right down to it Everybody's got so much on them don't really think everybody else is gonna do your fighting. Everybody's got so much trouble and so much worry, and we'll bury one another's burdens as far as we can. But you know, to be honest, we're all bearing so much of our own, I ain't got a room to bury a whole lot more of yours. And just be honest, you're the same way. So when it comes right down to it, it must be us, and we are not the IDF, of course, Israeli right Defense Forces, but we are Holy Ghost-filled children of God. And we must take our goal on, and we must send missiles, as it were, back over to the land of Syria. And the devil's trying to say, Satan, I'm warning you now. If you send another one on me, you're in big trouble, boy. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Or you can sit around and lose your health and you can lose your peace and you can lose your joy and you can barely make it and you'll pray that the Lord Jesus will let you get run over somehow this evening or killed in a car wreck and you can go flying off to heaven. I'm not looking for a suicidal pack out of this world. Now look, friends, I fight lots of things, and I fight lots of battles, but I refuse to live under depression. I refuse to live under sadness and sorrow. I refuse to live under a thing that, well, I can not never find no peace. Well, why can't I find peace? My Lord Jesus suffered so that I could have peace. I might as well have it. Praise the Lord. Now, let's look at this again today by the help of the Lord in this avenue of peace. Well, know streets of gold, the gates of pearl, all that, it'll be inevitable peace. But I believe God wants us as his children to have it now. Now, will we have to fight for it? We will. Once we fight for it and we get it, will it remain automatically? Oh no, you'll have to fight to keep it. And then there'll be times that it may seem like that it's gone and you'll have to fight to get it back. But if you really want it, it's yours. Notice Isaiah 52 7, how beautiful upon the mountains are the feet of him that bringeth good tidings, that publisheth peace, that bringeth good tidings of good, that publisheth salvation, that saith unto Zion, thy God reigneth. Now, let me tell you something. This is part of what myself and every other God called minister is called to do, and that is publish peace. Amen. The word tidings there is Masari, Hebrew word, which means to bear news or bear tidings, to publish. Preach. Preach. Say it with me. Preach. Show forth to announce salvation as good news. And apparently this must be emphasized again. And again, it is said, preach. So it is part of the ministry of every God call man to preach peace. First of all, peace with God, peace with our fellow man, peace with those as much as possible of our neighbors and so on that are around us, but also your own personal You see, peace with God and peace with yourself, they run parallel, but yet they can be separate at the same time. Many times people have a peace that they believe they are saved, but they don't have a peace with themselves that they're walking in harmony with the will of God about their lives. They're constantly fighting these, saying, well, maybe I should be doing this, or maybe I should be doing that, or maybe I should do something else. And they're in turmoil about themselves as far as what they should do. They believe they're saved. They believe they've met God's requirement accepting salvation. But they're just not sure as far as if they're doing what they need to do. Well, go to him who brought you on the earth and ask him, why am I here? Would you please tell me why I'm here? Would you please help me do what I'm called to do so I can have personal peace in my walk? Because if Satan can rob you, well, you ought to be doing this and you should be doing that. You shouldn't be doing that. What in the world is the matter with you? You're out of your place. You're not supposed to do that. A person like that is in constant turmoil. And there's only one way to resolve it. Go to him that brought you here and ask him, what do you want me to do? Don't ask him, mama. Don't ask your employer. Don't ask the devil. Don't ask this one or that one, but go to him. And if you feel, oh, he wants me to do this and he he wants me to do that. Well, it's up to him to tell you. And if he don't tell you, this is one thing you want to do, forget it. You'd be surprised the men in the message that fight the thing of being called to preach and they feel they're called to preach and they live under that thing for years and years and years. I've talked to many, many, many in my tenure as a pastor and I tell them the same thing every time. If God calls you to preach, then God will do just that. I tell them if I want to call you on the phone, I don't call your mama, I don't call your grandpa, I don't call your uncle, I call you. Yeah. And if it's important enough to God for you to preach, then God ought to make a personal call to you and say, Hey, buddy, I want you to preach. And if you're really genuinely called, you'll say, No thanks. Now, if you ain't called, you'll say, I'll do it. Well, you want me to start tomorrow. But if you're genuinely called, you don't want to call. You don't want to respond. No, sir. You'll make every excuse possible. You'll wrestle with God. You'll argue with God. You'll tell him how many faults you've got. And when it's all said and done, he said, as I said, preach. Amen. It's like he don't even hear one word you just said. But God calls you. If God has called you sisters to be this or that or the other, then let God make it clear to you and have peace in your heart well praise the Lord for whoever that was for now Isaiah chapter 53 verse 5 he was wounded for our transgressions he was bruised for our iniquities the chastisement of our peace now listen to this he was chastised so we could have a peaceful life why would I not want every every aspect of peace in my life since he suffered chastisement for it The chastisement of our peace was upon him, and with his stripes we are healed. I love this in the New Testament. Romans 14, 17. For the kingdom of God is not meat and drink, but righteousness and peace and joy in the Holy Ghost. Now this word here is actually a Greek word the one we looked at last night as far as the numbers chapter 6 was that God will give you peace which was the Hebrew word shalom. But this is the Greek correspondent that means very very similar to it and it is the Greek word arene which means rest, quietness, exemption from the rage of havoc of war. Now if you'll notice it does not say that you're exempt from war. But you're exempt from the rage or the havoc of war. I mean, it's very strange that we are peacemakers and we're some of the greatest warriors that's ever been on the earth. There's nobody that loves peace any more than we do. But there's nobody more anointed to fight hell than we are. It's really a strange parallel what we stand into because we are like the Lord Jesus. And we have this multiplicity of attributes that God's given us and we are His love. We are His sweetheart. We have this peaceful thing about us but don't cross us when it comes to the Word. We will cut your head off, devil. So it's a very peculiar status that we are in. Notice, so this thing about peace is, it's peace between individuals, it's harmony, it's security, it's safety, prosperity, felicity, because peace and harmony make and keep things safe and prosperous of Christianity the tranquil state of a soul assured of its salvation through Christ and so fearing nothing from God and content with its earthly lot and whatsoever sort that it is oh my so that's the peace that comes with the Holy Ghost Romans fifteen thirteen. now the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing that ye may abound in hope and the word abound is like a bud going from a tiny bud on a plant and as it goes from one stage to another to another to another this is the word abound and it goes from a bud to a full born blossom So notice what this does in the progression of your growth. It fills you with joy and peace in believing. So when God fills you with joy and peace, it causes your life to explode of the spiritual characteristics of God and you go from a bud to a full-born blossom. Notice that you may abound in hope through the power of the Holy Ghost. And we all know this word and we love it well right here because it is a Greek word dunamis. It means might, strength, power, ability, inherit power, power residing in a thing by virtue of its nature. Now remember, this is not excusia, which is power given to you by delegation. You go do this, you go do that, you go do that. You don't have any inherent power by nature. But this dunamis is something that's given to you by this nature itself, the nature of the new birth. And it releases this power from within you, not from without. Notice, of which a person or a thing exerts or puts forth more power and excellence of soul. It is also the root word that we get our word dynamite from. Amen. Amen. I want to be a dynamite Christian, don't you? I don't want to be a sparkler Christian. (laughs) You just light them up and and they're all gone. I want to have dynamite in my life. Now, watch this. Let's run a little parallel here, if you don't mind. In Ephesians chapter 6, verse 13. Wherefore, take unto you the whole armor of God, that ye may be able to withstand in the evil day, and having done all, to stand now, notice this word that Paul uses. he says, "Wherefore take the second word there in verse thirteen Wherefore take so it is something it is a verb which means something we must reach and get, something that we must actually exert an energy. Put forth an effort and we must do an application. It's a twofold word. So we must reach and get this and then we must do something with it after we have it. So this is not something that God will do automatically, but yet we know that many of the things as we've been through this before, many of the things that are attributed to, to the Greek word here is actually Panoply, The Panoply of God or the armor of God, is something that we cannot make, it's something we cannot manufacture, but what we do is we take Access, we gain access by the Spirit of God and we allow this panoply of God to be able to live itself out of us, we give it permission. Praise God. Now, notice this, because our enemies have been described, just to save time, I won't read these prior verses of this, but you can read it when you get time. So it is the human responsibility as the children of God for us to take this panoply of God and be able to withstand. Now, we are in an army. We believe that, do we not? And we are fighting the war. It is the greatest battle that has ever been fought. So remember, Paul is in actually in the marmotine prison in Rome. Paul is in the Marmotine prison in Rome when he writes this book of Ephesians. So he's not sitting in his study at home with the air conditioning going and a nice glass, a large glass of tea there. He's not sitting in his recliner and everything real comfortable, but Paul is thrown in the Marmotine. He's there, down. my, I've been there and seen what a wretched place that place was. And to think this man of God sitting in those situations, yet yeah, you don't find where he complained, he grumbled, he griped, and he went on, I'm about ready to quit. I'm about ready to throw my hands up. Boy, if God can't keep me, I'm no sir. You just think he was sitting right in his study. Everything was perfectly normal. But what did he do? He wanted to leave something to the church of that day and also to the future ages that would be able to, to give them something to meet their enemy no doubt day by day by day he would see the Roman soldiers as they would come by and he saw their dress wear and he would see their helmets he would see their swords he would see their shield he would see their feet he would see everything about them and apparently one day the spirit of God quickened what he saw but his natural eye and he caught a revelation that that's the way the children of God are. And maybe the, the guards would come in and they'd change guards and they were standing there and they might ridicule Paul. They might, some of them might have been courteous you know the way they were. But Paul saw a parallel. And he saw that this Roman army was the greatest army that the world at that time had ever known. In the way that they raised to power and the way they moved as I mentioned to you last night, one of the greatest attributes of the Roman army was that they moved as one man. They practiced maneuvers over and over and over again. It was not just you. It was you and, and those that was in front of you and those behind you and those around you, so that you could move and so you could march as one man. And they had such discipline in their ranks. They were the most disciplined army they say that has ever been on the world. Well, they just don't know us. But they were so disciplined that they become so hardened veterans that they moved as one man on the earth. So Paul looked at them and he saw and something must have related in his mind to the bride of Christ, the elect of God, the army of the living God. And he could see and he might have looked at down the top and looked at the shield and said I would drape down the sides and protect their jawbones. And he would see and know that the helmet itself because they fought with broad axes and different... Different things like that. So one of the first things they'd try to get but then range would take that broad axe and hit you in the head. And they'd cut your head in two, split your head wide open, whatever more. So Paul saw that there was armament there and there was protection on your legs, which was your greaves. And there was the shoes, oh my, on your feet. And you had the door, the Roman door, which was a shield, four and a half feet tall, unless you're a short guy and they gave you a four foot one, four and a half feet tall, two and a half feet wide. And the The shield was made so that it was covered with leather, an unfinished leather, and also linen. So when they would go to war, they would each of them dip their shields in water. They would dip their shields in water and they would soak their shields in water because many of the fighters in that day would take little pieces of wood and they would sharpen it with a real sharp point on the end of it and then they would tie little pieces on the end of it so they could make a missile out of it. They would dip it in poison or they would dip it in a flammable substance like tar, pitch, something like that and they would start throwing them at you as we would call fire darts. So then what they would do Would land in your shield And remember these shields at this time Were wood And whenever they would land in the shield Then they would land in you They not only made a hole in your leg But they would also catch your leg on fire And here Paul looked at this And he said I see a parallel I see the fiery darts of the enemy How that the enemy will throw darts At the people of God And they will ignite the passions Of the lust." of the flesh and they will fire up temper or they will fire up sexual lust or they will fire up and ignite other passions that are left in the human being. So Paul said if the Romans have to stand against their enemy. Now remember whenever Rome began to conquer and they took over the became the world empire. They, the people of the world didn't just sit there with their arms crossed and say well I guess that's the way it is. But many of them started fighting back. Because they did not like being under the Roman tyranny. They did not like being under Caligula and Nero and many of those men. They were tyrants no doubt about it. So after Rome took it, Rome had to fight to keep it. Or oh, may I say to you that it's the same thing. The Lord Jesus saved you, sanctified you, gave you the Holy Ghost, and you'll have to fight to keep your walk with God. Amen. So notice in verse 14, he tells them, stand therefore. In other words, keep your ground. Don't desert the army of the Living God. Stand therefore, having your loins girt about with truth. Amen. Now let me share this with you so it'll make sense to you. The girdle, or the sash, as it was called, was always with the ancients an important part of their dress, in war as well as in peace. They wore loose, flowing robes. And it became necessary to gird them up when they traveled or ran or labored. The girdle was often highly ornamented and was the place where they carried their money, their sword, their pipe, their riding instruments, etc. The girdle was designed to keep every part of the armor in its place and to gird the soldier on every side. Now you imagine it's Paul now sitting there and he sees these men as they're coming through. He would see the generals, he would see whatever the ranks was, the Praetorian Guard or whatever more. And he would see each of them, though they had a little bit different look, but he noticed this thing about all of them and he went not to the head first. He didn't go to the feet first, he didn't go to the sword first, but he went to what? The primary part that he knew for the Roman soldier was where it all began and that was having their loins or their upper part here of their body in the middle rather to be girded together so you've got a sword you've got all these different things but it's all held together with truth well praise God so you gird your loins then which they looked at of course as being the power the degenerative power the generative power that would help you to propagate so they looked at it and Paul said then have your loins gird about with truth because truth is what's going to keep all of your armament together
0: right.
1: amen you can have the greatest desire that ever was you can have so much zeal for god you can have so much passion but it don't do any good if you don't have any truth You just burn out. That's all you do. Now, truth preserves a man, a woman, a boy, or a girl. It preserves them from the lax, loose status that humans tend to go into even after they become Christians. So, truth being girt about you. Now, no no, Dad, it would be a whole lot more relaxing if you didn't have that thing on you. Because you know what? If you make it loose as a goose, it's going to fall off. So it's going to have to be a little bit uh, uh, tight so it may not be real pleasant, but it's up to you whether or not you want your stuff here or back there see, you can start out with all of your stuff, but if you don't have your loins, gird about. So you imagine them wearing the long garment as they did at that time to protect their limbs, and here comes a lion. Here comes an enemy. Well, you can't run because your long garments is down there getting in your legs and getting in your feet. So what do you do? You reach down. They didn't wear breeches like we do. You reach down and grab a hold of this thing and you take the bottom part of it and you put it up under your belt, as we would say. So you pull that up. Then what can you do? Head out of Dodge. I mean, that line's on your trail. But if you ain't got no gird, if you ain't got no sash... That line of licking his chops. Mm. So Paul said you must have truth. Everything you do, do it by truth. Friends, God wants no dishonesty in his people. Keep truth before you and everything you do. Notice, stand therefore, having your loins girt about with truth. Having on the breastplate of righteousness. Now this is a Latin word, lorica, which means a coat of mail. The armor that covered the body from the neck to the thighs. Well, that sounds hot in 110 degree weather. That sounds really uncomfortable. Would you rather be uncomfortable or dead? Yeah. Yeah, oh, I forgot to tell you. We wasn't going on a picnic. <laughs> if we'd been on picnic, everybody could have brought them red, you know, tablecloths, And we'd all sit down with your favorite drink. And hot dogs and hamburgers and potato chips. And we'd all just sit down. But this is not. No, the goal on is right above you and they are watching your picnics. Don't you understand this is why so many folks have got in trouble? Because Satan is watching them. He's got the advantage point because he's done this for 6,000 years. He has the high ground when it comes to dealing with humanity and he sees how human nature is repetitive and he studies you if you knew how well he knew you, it'd probably scare you to death. He knows, oh my, your weakness is your strength. He knows all of that. So from here down to your thighs, front and back, made of rings or in the form of scales yeah. or of plates so fastened together that they would be flexible, yet guard the body from a sword, spear, or arrow. Amen. Amen. Goliath's coat of mail weighed 160 pounds. But you see, when you got God on your side, you just take one tiny rock, aim for the forehead, but you turn it around and if God is on your side, let the devil aim every arrow, every dart, everything he's got, you're covered from the head to the foot, except for your back, no armor on your back because real Christians ain't gonna be running away. They're gonna be facing the devil. Now, what's this? So Paul calls this the breastplate of righteousness, which is integrity, holiness, purity of life. Something that you know that the, for the Gentiles was ah, it was okay if you could have it and still be prosperous. It was all right. But if it come down really right down to it, and you had to choose integrity and prosperity, You always choose prosperity. You always choose wealth. You always choose the what is the most beneficial for you as an individual? Wow, sounds like you got a lot of Gentiles on the day we're living. It's come to a spot you can't hardly believe nothing people say no more. I'm just talking about them out there. I'm talking about church folks. People's words don't mean anything. I'll, I'll be over to help you tomorrow. And you say, which tomorrow was that? What year was that? Did you mean? People's words don't mean anything. It's a shame, friends, that that has come over into the Christian rank. If you don't mean it, don't say it integrity should be part of our armament. Honesty and being brothers and sisters. Come on, saints. It should never, but we're so deep. We're not very deep if we lay aside truths. We're not very deep if we lay aside honesty. Now notice, so the breastplate hangs over the lungs and the heart. And if it's Christ righteousness... It's over my heart. There ain't a devil in hell. The problem is, friends, many of our folks don't have the Holy Ghost. I know you don't like to hear me say it, but it's the truth. And without the Holy Ghost, you'll never be a match for the devil. Look at David. Look at Saul, look at Samson, look at Abraham, look at many of them in the Old Testament. They loved God, but they was not born again. So, therefore, they did not have the indwelling inherent nature to give them power to overcome Satan, and Satan would hit them. How in the world could David, a man after God's own heart, have his own brother's close comrade in arms, I kill, and take his wife and commit adultery with his wife? Oh, come on, don't sit there and look at me. And yet turn right around and be a man that loved God and played his heart and kept on singing songs in church. Oh my. You see the breastplate is absolutely essential over our heart. It takes care of our neck down over the torso of our body which protects some of the most important parts and the organs of our body showing us that as the people of God we must have these things in our walk. You can still look like a Christian. You still may come to church but if you don't have this on there your heart will become open. Your very inside of your inside will become defiled by Satan and his laodicean schemes but if you're sealed by the Holy Ghost and all cinched up on both sides with the breastplate of Christ's righteousness there's not enough devils in hell to pull you out from behind the veil now watch in verse 15 and your feet shod with the preparation of the gospel of peace. I thought was dressing a soldier. Why would you wanna teach a soldier about peace? Because we are not murderers. Do you understand many of our own soldiers in America that they so trained them to kill and destroy that many of them when they come back home, they actually have to have them watched under surveillance because the army, the navy, the marines, the green beret, whatever it was, so programmed them men and desensitized their conscience about killing people that they're not sure what they'll do when they get back home. But the Lord Jesus is not calling us as a bunch of murderers. Come on, saints. We do not get joy out of spilling blood. We do not get joy out of causing wars. And we have to sometimes go on the defensive to defend our Lord and his word. And we have to spill blood, as it were. But on the inside, we are peacemakers. We are not spiritual snipers that sit around and just wait for anybody to move so we can cut them off. I know many people take the militant quote so far to the extreme because their nature is militant within itself. And they love to fight. They love to scramble. They love to just have a good go around with somebody. You need peace inside of you. Your very foundation of being a soldier is not grit. It is not even because you're so mad. You have this great desire your very shoes are peace your shoes are your foundation your shoes reflect your walk there ain't nobody that loves peace more than a bride after all that's our husband he's the prince of peace You imagine the Prince of Peace marrying, you know, a woman, a bride type that's nothing but a troublemaker. Not my prince. He's the true and original Prince Charming. That's right. And if he's the Prince of Peace, he's looking for the Queen of Peace. He's looking for a princess and her foundation. And remember in the Old Testament, when the children of Israel was coming into the state of the dispensation that they were the church, which was the called out. And what did God do? God gave Moses a pattern in the wilderness of the tabernacle. And God had the tabernacle overlaid with badger skin, which was a type of leather. And they would take that and put it together. What did God do? God turned right around and told the children of Israel to make their shoes out of the same thing oh so they would be wearing on their feet the same thing he wore in the tabernacle so what is he telling the bride look bride don't don't base it upon how smart you think you are don't even base it on your own desire i want you to wear what i am the Prince of Peace, I come that I may meet peace between God and man. Make sure you are shod with peace. If not, you'll turn into a word-murdering Christian. You'll take the word and you can't wait to pull out a quote and cut somebody's head off. You can't walk to put on oh my to put a study together to just kill people. That's not what we're called to do. As a pastor, it's one of the hardest things in my life to do is when I have to take a little sheepy up in my arm and break its leg. Because that sheep keeps running off, running off, running off. And I warn it, and I warn it, and I warn it. And I finally just have to pick it up in my arms and look at it. Tears running out of my eyes. And snap. It's leg. Then I can hold it close to me. And wrap it. And splint it. And help it heal up. You see, sometimes you look at me breaking their legs you don't see the 85 years of them running off and you misjudge the situation he is so mean no you're just so ignorant I protected them for 85 years and kept their sin from you as a body and finally it's a leg breaking day well praise God I learned a long time ago, you can shear sheep for years, but you can only kill them once. So there's a very delicate balance. Needless to say, I have had murder in my mind a time or two with some of you. Don't sit there and look at me like a bunch of angels. Don't tell me in your heart you ain't felt the same way about me. (laughs) Hallelujah. But Paul looked at your shoes and you're there where they were a, a sandal type of boot. I was a mention to you last time in the first century that they would take splinters and they would sharpen them all for a sharp and they'd stick them up this way so they would pull the enemy in this direction. They'd take shards of glass and piece of metal and different types of things, basic first century landmine. So they would send some out there for bait and then they'd send them and say, hey, 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 here they go, here they go, not knowing they had put out all of these sticks that was facing right toward them. And they would come right in. And they'd land right in the middle of that glass. Or right in those shards of, of metal. And when they would, they'd cut their feet. All to pieces. Their shield was good. Their sword was good. Their helmet was good. But their feet were ruined. Amen. Think about it. You might know the Bible from the front to the back. But if you ain't got the right shoes on. You still can't fight now you can be shod but shod by the wrong kind of shoes and you still can't fight so let's say it this way we're all going on a hike this evening at Rome Mountain half of you bring house shoes and you get out your little pink bunny shoes or your little you know whatever you men wearing you women and you say brother Donnie we're ready I bring out my lace-up Rocky boots and you other brothers that hunt and and you bring out, you know, whichever ones you have and and you're looking to these people and they got pink bunny shoes. And we're going out, "I, I, I got my shoes. You cannot deny they are not shoes. Come on, children. You cannot deny that they will give them an element of protection. We cannot put on shoes that do not match. Where we are going, we are going in the most dreadful place men have ever been. There are demons on every side. There is lust. There is pornography. There is adultery. There is alcohol. There is drugs. There is everything imaginable to the senses in the day we live in. And if you step out in this landmine with house shoes on, can you imagine? What's going to happen Amen. to your feet? So in areas where they had bamboo, they would strip the bamboo down and make them seven to twelve inches long. You're rushing toward the enemy. You've got your eyes there, not here. It's says, shoes. Shoes are a wonderful thing. If so, the right kind of shoes. But shoes can also produce a deceiving effect. You ever notice how whenever you go up or down stairs, especially down, and you will commit your descent to your subconscious. And you just walk right down it. But have you ever noticed if you go to starting at the top and you go to thinking about it? And... Oh, some of y'all been there and done that. So what you're doing is you're taking it from your subconscious, which it's been committed to by memory. And then you're committing it to your eyes. Well, at the same time, you've got 47,332 things on your mind at the same time. Have you ever stumbled going down and yet you're more intent on descending those steps than you were yesterday when you just did it by memory? You understand what I'm saying? So when we look at our feet, what do shoes on our feet do? It can produce a safety. It can produce a security. As long as you have the right shoes on that you can trust them. Oh, praise God. So Paul said, saints, I've studied this and I've looked at it. And I think by the grace of God, I can say, What y'all need is shoes of peace. Now this is going to be one of the most vulnerable parts of your war. Wars and battles have been lost because of the wrong kind of shoes. You take some of the Greeks that was used to the landfall, the landscape where they were. Put them in the heels of Macedonia, and when Philip was there, Alexander the Great's father, and they met them in those great caverns, they had never fought in such places before. The loss was catastrophic. They didn't have the right shoes.. They had grit, they had hardness, but they didn't have the right shoes. So they couldn't stand. They couldn't be stable. Now let me tell you something about myself. I'm a tenderfoot. Okay? Some of y'all go barefooted. That's entirely up to you. i pray for you. (laughs) The only time I go barefooted pretty much is when I take my shoes off, kick back in my recliner, get my laptop in my lap, and I sit there and study. If I get up and go upstairs to get something to drink, my shoes is on my feet. If I get up to go to the bathroom, my shoes is on my feet. I've always been a tenderfoot, always was when I was a boy. I'd get out and my my shoes wasn't nice. I never heard the name Nike. I never heard of such a thing. I wore them dollar pair dollar store shoes. Now they wasn't in style then, they are now. (laughs) I wore them then because that's all mom and daddy could afford, but I always had what I had on. Now, I might have to put a piece of duct tape on the inside and do this and that and the other, but whatever I had, I had something on my feet. I'm a tenderfoot. Well, let me just say it to you spiritually so you understand. Spiritually, I am a tenderfoot. I just don't trust walking in Laodicea without my peace shoes on. I don't trust the spikes and all the things that Satan would try to do to ensnare me as a minister, as a servant of God, as a Christian. You understand, Say, Oh, better down I feel totally confident. You better not. To him that thinks he's stand, take heed lest he fall. You better get your shoes on and you better get them laced up tight and be ready at any time to be shipped out.
0: Let's stand.
1: Praise be to God. I've got my peace shoes on and I'm fighting, oh Satan, I'm a soldier in the army of the Lord. I've got my peace shoes on and I'm fighting, old oh, Satan, I'm a soldier in the army of the Lord. I've got my peace shoes on, and I'm fighting, oh, Satan. I'm a soldier in the army of the Lord. I've got my peace shoes on, and I'm fighting, oh, Satan. I'm a soldier in the army of the Lord. I'm saved and sanctified, and I'm filled with the Holy Ghost. My name is in the precious book of life. I'm called and chosen and faithful to my Lord. I have been with him since the beginning of thy life. I I've got my peace shoes on, and I'm fighting, oh Satan, I'm a soldier in the army of the Lord, I've got my peace shoes on, and I'm fighting, oh Satan, I'm a soldier in the army of the Lord, I'm hearing the word of this hour, it's in doing Satan Just take this verse slow. I'm saved and sanctified. I'm filled with the Holy Ghost. My name is in the Lamb's great book of life. Lord, give me this verse. Set back up while I go gofo come in. I want you to get it. I'm called and I'm chosen. I'm faithful to be His bride. <laughs> I know I've been saved to the uttermost. I've got my peace shoes off, and I'm fighting no Satan. I'm a soldier. I'm a
0: soldier in the army of my Lord I've got my peace shoes on And I'm fine
1: Oh, Satan I'm a soldier in the army of the Lord Now be honest with me It's not Paul sitting in the Marmiteen prison. It's you. They throw you a crust of moldy bread every day or so to eat. Rats are running across your feet. You have just enough water to stay alive. You have seen more visions than any New Testament man. You are allowed to be carried up into the third heaven. God allowed you to explain the mystery of the sacrifices of the Old Testament, the mystery of the blood, the mystery of the Godhead. God allowed you to preach things that the apostles marveled at. And where's that God now? My brother, sister, you need your peace shoes on. Because even when you're in the Marmottine, when you know you're a child of God, he always explains it, out now, you? are here because of this. Oh, okay, fine, okay. If God give us explanation of everything we go through, we would need faith. But God will let us get there sometimes and we cry and we pray and we don't understand for nothing. Keep your peace shoes on. Guess guess time, whenever you don't see the enemy there, you know what you're going to do? You're going to lay your sword down. You might even reach up and unbuckle your, 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 your breastplate and all that on you, just kind of lay it down. You know what? There ain't no enemy in sight, nowhere. But more than likely, if you're a tenderfoot, you're going to always keep your shoes on. Some of them Roman soldiers never took their shoes off. Now, they was not just hard pieces of leather on the bottom. But the Roman emperors who had studied war and studied these first century landmines had steel, pieces of metal. They had pieces of bone, animal bone, embedded in the soles of these men's shoes. Because these men were... The Roman Empire. Most of them, Caesars, never got their hands bloody or dirty. They sat in the throne. These men were Rome. So you come up through there. You got house shoes on. There's a bamboo shaft sticking up out of there. You run that thing come up through your foot. You're disabled. Your sword's good. Your helmet's good. Everything's still good, but your feet ain't good. Brother, sister, when we lose our peace with God, with our brothers and sisters, in our family, and our church family, guess what? We don't get in fighting moods. Ah, whatever. Whatever. I'm not sure I'm going to church anymore. I don't even want to go. I don't, I don't, I just, just be honest. You don't feel like fighting no more, do you? But if you'll get your feet shod with the preparation of the gospel of peace. And that word there, preparation, is preparedness. So you're ready at any time, at any moment. Charge, relax, rest, breakfast, lunch, dinner, whatever it is, you're ready. Because you're prepared with the gospel. Not the gospel of war, but the gospel of peace. Praise God. Well, let's sing this little chorus together again. We want to offer prayer here. We'll pray for Dakota Harmon. She got sick and had to leave church today. Let's just pray for her right now, can we? Lord Jesus, you see Dakota's need, Father. Her getting sick and having to leave the service. That's nothing but a trick of the enemy, Lord, to try to disturb her and disturb her mother. Father, we ask in the name of Jesus that you'd move. Lord, I just read it yesterday. The prophet of God said, the army of the devil puts sickness on people and the army of God takes it off. In the name of Jesus, may that evil leave her, Father. Father, if there's others here today that are sick and needy, Lord, out on the internet, I pray you'd minister to them as well today, Father God. We love you, Lord. May we be your spiritual Israel. Praise God to claim our land, our inheritance in the name of Jesus. Let me just share a moment with you before I let you go. Brother Mark and his wife, Sister Deborah was with us, Carol and I and the other saints that went over to Israel. <clears throat> All the different places we'd been. To me, one of the most moving places that we were was when we got on the boat in the Sea of Galilee. And it was made to look like, sort of like a first century, you know, old type of boat. And we got out on the water, beautiful. And you just imagine in your mind how many times Jesus was there and Peter and James and John. And Brother Tim put. he was the first one that I noticed first, Brother Tim. And he stepped over to the side of the ship and he just started looking out and tears trickling down in his eyes. And it just like it swept over the boat. Just a special presence of God. They get you out so far and they turn off the engine. And then they let you pray or sing or worship or whatever you want to do. What a peace that come in that boat that day. Just so wonderful. I didn't even realize then that the Golan Heights was them high places I was looking at. I'd never been to the Golan, so I didn't know what it was. What a contrast between the peace that we were experiencing in the high ground of the Golan Heights. Now, had had the Muslims, the Arabs, whatever more, had that that day, we was in perfect range of one of their missiles to destroy us. But Israel took that ground. So we were able to be out there in the Sea of Galilee, and some of them actually started dancing on the boat. I was still trying to determine if they was in the Spirit or what they was in exactly. But anyway... (laughs) (laughs) they did dance but the reason we could do that was because some people were willing to risk their lives to take that high country I'm so glad our Lord Jesus was willing to go up to a high hill in the place of the skull called Dalgosa I'm glad Peter, James, John Paul, Luther, Wesley our prophet, Brother Branham Other men of God that are still alive today are willing to go to the high country and say, Satan, we're sick and tired of your firing missiles down on our people. Our farmers, our housewives, we're taking this land from you. Hallelujah. Praise God. Do you want your land? It's your peace, friend. You want peace or you'd rather have worry? You want peace or you'd rather have anxiety? well in order to do it we've got to have some men that's willing to publish the gospel of peace and then what will they do you know what they're going to do they're going to help shod you with the preparedness of the gospel of peace let's bow our heads if you would would you do me a favor there's no way I can lay hands on all of you today would you just lay your hand on that person standing by you let's just offer a word of prayer for them the Lord knows their need their desire Maybe it's sickness in their body. Maybe it's depression, mental stress, psychological, whatever it is, the Lord knows. Let's just pray together. Heavenly Father, I'm sure today standing in this place are people who are equipped, as Paul described it almost 2,000 years ago, setting in the Marmiteen as he wrote it that day. Thank you, Father. He didn't let discouragement overwhelm him. Thank you, Lord God. He was able to look past the rats and the stench of that place. Maybe hunger pains gnawing at his stomach. In a little bit we'll dismiss and we'll go our separate ways and go get lunch. And Father, here we have said and rejoice today at the writings of a servant of God that may sit with hunger pains in his stomach while he wrote them. Oh God, but he was willing, Father. He was willing because he had on his feet shoes of peace and he said i found in whatever state i'm in to be content oh then he said godliness with contentment is great gain lord jesus help us whether we're in peace time or wartime thank you for your grace that you help us and lord when we go through battles that you will give us a little time of reprieve, lord reprieve as it were that we are able to experience an element of peace. And the battle tends to kind of lay down for a little bit. Oh, we know it won't be long. But God, you do that out of your love. So we're able to take a little rest between it, Father. We're able to lean back a little bit, as it were, against your chest. and Hear your heart beat and drink of the cup of your goodness while we rest up for the next battle. But Lord, we still want our shoes on. Praise God. Lord God, those shoes help us in peacetime. They help us in wartime. They help us in distress. They help us in trouble. They help us when the doctor's report is ideal. And they help us when it's not so good. Thank you, Lord Jesus, for shodding your people with the preparation of the gospel of peace. Lord, if the Roman Senate would put shoes on their soldiers because they wanted them to achieve victory. And most of the victories they won, Lord, was horrific. It was to the loss of other humans, the loss of their liberty, the loss of their land, the loss of loved ones. But they wanted them as bestly equipped as possible. How much more does our Lord Jesus? So you said, children, I want your shoes to be peace shoes. I don't want them to be attitude shoes. I don't want them to be arrogant shoes, pride shoes. But peace shoes. Praise God. Lord, forgive me if I've ever took mine off and put on arrogant shoes or pride shoes. Whatever more, Lord. Our feet is our foundation. Our feet is our stability. Our feet is what helps us to fight. We can have the best of swords, and we do. We can have the greatest of shields, and we do. But our sword can only wound and defeat as long as our feet are capable of holding us up. Praise God. We worship you, Lord Jesus. We worship you, Lord Jesus. You love him today, saints? If you're not shod with this, Maybe you got some old prideful shoes on. Maybe you've launched out in the middle of this battle with house shoes on, church shoes on. They ain't going to help you, friend. You're going to get your feet cut all to pieces. We'll find you sitting on the side of the battlefield, unable to move. You see, when your feet are cut up in such a state, you cannot go forward, you cannot go backward, you can't go anything. You're there waiting, either for friends or enemy to come and destroy you. But get your peace shoes on today. Get your peace shoes on. Sings a Mary.
0: Out on the water, storms raging high. The waters around them were troubled at night. And their hearts would die. Failed to remember that the Master was nigh. He spoke the word. The winds all stood still. Just like He will mine If I'll just remember That He lives deep inside Why should I worry? Why should I fear? When this very same Jesus He stays always near He lives in my Storm passes by Oh why should I worry? Why should I think in this very leading mine and to walk with To so why should I...
1: Bless you, saints. Love you in the Lord. Nova Service, your Wednesday. Those of you that will be traveling, spending time with your families over the holidays of Thanksgiving and so on, God, God be with you and bless you. I know there'll be several of you traveling. May God watch over you and keep you by His grace. We'll be gathering again, Lord willing, here next weekend. For the rest, come and dismiss us in prayer. God bless you. Go in the fear of God.
2: Let's pray. Lord Jesus, it never fails to amaze me how personal you can be, Lord, to each and every soul that's open to you. Lord, I know that this sermon was for each and every one of us who believe, Lord, who looked to you this morning to hear what you had to say to our hearts. We can all walk away from here better, Lord. We can all apply these things to our lives, Lord. But even deeper than that, you reveal your very heart to us. You show us how much you love us by preparing us. You show us how much you love us by getting us ready with your word, Lord. Giving us a more victorious life. You give us what we need to make it through each week. We're so grateful, Lord. I know that Thanksgiving's really the only real true Christian holiday left, Lord, if, if we're looking at it right. And Lord, we're just we just want to express that thanks, Lord. Not just this week, but every every single day of our lives, Lord. We're so grateful for the revelation you've given us. Lord, I know that many people came to the altar today, but there were many out in the in the congregation that were all pulling on You, Father. This is one body, Your bride, Lord, and we love You. We just want to tell You. We hear You. We hear You when You say You love us. We hear You when You're so tender with us and so careful to protect us, to correct us, to pull us up close and tell us what we need to need to be doing Lord and we just want you to know that we love you so much we're so grateful we love you Lord Lord please keep us safe as brother Donnie was saying people travel and everything Lord keep us safe Lord bring us back together again in one spirit one accord in the love of the Lord Jesus amen
0: I want to sit at your feet Drink from this cup in your hand Lay back against you and breathe Feel your heart beat This love is so deep It's more than I can understand I rest in your peace hel me the more I seek you the more I find you. the more I find all oh, the more cup in your hand lay back against you and read, Feel your heart This love is so deep. It's more than I can understand. I rest in your peace. It's over with